Blog Talk Radio. Welcome into the Warehouse, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles and Major League Baseball. The Warehouse is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. All right, back here for another episode of The Warehouse. This is episode number six. I am your host, Brandon Warren. And as always, I am joined by Bob Harkins. Bob, what's going on? Oh, not much, man. Just uh, getting ready for another Dodgers-Cubbies matchup day game. Love day baseball on Thursday. How about you? How's it going? Well, I'm actually very excited for that game as well. Uh, Julio Urias making his second big league start. Kind of being thrown to the wolves a little bit against the Cubs, who are, by most measures, a top-five offense. What's your thoughts of, of him and his second start, and what does he have to do to be successful? I think he, he just needs to command his pitches better. That Mets, that, that His first start, he got knocked around a little by the Mets, but uh, he, uh, he just couldn't stand the edges of the strike zone. His stuff was great. It was moving all over the place, but uh, there, there may have been a little nerves at play there. I don't know, so... We'll see. Yeah, doesn't get any easier today, like you said. Looks like he was up to 94 with the fastball, or averaging 94 with the fastball, a little bit higher than that here and there. But in, in two and two-thirds innings, you don't get a lot of chance to see a lot of pitches either unless the guy's running up the pitch count. But hoping for the best or hoping for him to be much better today, give him a more competitive game. Uh, like I said, I am Brandon Warner, your host. We are going to be joined today by the founder of Baltimore Sports and Life, Chris Stoner. He'll be calling us here in just a couple minutes. We'll chit-chat a little bit about the Orioles, who, you know, it's been a couple weeks, Bob, since we've been on. I had a little bit of facial uh, procedure. It wasn't necessarily surgery, but I had a facial procedure done last week, so we tabled the show for for a week. Did you miss me over that week while we were gone? I cried myself to sleep every night, Brandon. I figured as much. I'm just glad glad you're doing better, man. Um, (laughs) I appreciate that. the, the, The Orioles have missed you. I think they were five and seven in our absence, if my math is correct. Uh, yeah, I got them losing seven of ten. I know uh, seven of the last ten uh, things have not been good, not been good, and I think it's your fault. So hopefully, hopefully things will get turned around now. Well, we left them in first place. If if I if memory serves, I think we recorded on Thursday or Friday and they would have been either playing Seattle or I think they might have been opening the Angels series, if I remember correctly, on that Friday. And so they won the first two of the Angels series and have dropped, yeah, I think seven of the last ten and fallen into second place. Boston has taken control of this division a little bit. I wouldn't say a lot. But what what have you seen from this Orioles team over the last couple of weeks since we've been on? I've seen them giving up a lot of runs, man, and the, the offense has, has pulled back a little as well. Um, I got them during that uh, losing seven of the last ten. I've got them being outscored sixty-two to forty-two. So that's the the four point two runs per game scored isn't isn't bad. It's not. I think it, we expect a little a little bit more than that. But the six point two games, I'm sorry, six point two runs per game allowed is uh, not tenable. And the the you know we knew the starting rotation was going to be a, a difficult 
part of this team, and uh, it's had a it's had a rough stretch for sure. Yeah, that's not going to fly. One thing that's going to fly though is bringing in Chris Stoner, who is basically our boss. Chris, how are we doing? Hey guys, doing well. How about yourself? Yeah, good, good, good so far. Yeah, we're good. Uh, yeah, appreciate you having me on. Of course, I booked myself, so I guess that's how it works. So, <laughs> yeah. Like well, the, we wanted, you know, we wanted to help you out a little. It's like the old <laughs> days in wrestling where the the bookers still wrestled, so they'd book themselves to get all the wins. So we'll take it. <laughs> You've had some good guests. Now you're uh, saddled with me, but yeah. So let's, uh, Brandon. Glad to hear you're uh, over your uh, surgery last week. Uh, missed you, so glad to get back into it. Yeah, I'm glad to be back too, and a little little bummed out with how the Orioles have played over the last small stretch. It, basically, you look at this team, and, and I, I guess when I diagnosed where they're at, and I'm not surprised they're in the thick of things. I kind of thought that every team could be in the thick of things in the American League this year. And that it hasn't been the case for the Twins, who I've been watching a lot, but the, the O's have basically done exactly what you'd expect them to do to be successful. Uh, most pressing issue is, is rotation. Where are you guys at with the rotation right now? Uh, it's Tillman, Gosman, and, you know, pray for rain, basically. But, uh, you know, I, I think we've hit on Gosman a number of times uh, early on with, with the warehouse. We've talked repeatedly about, really, he's kind of the X factor for the Orioles. They need him to be closer to what his potential ceiling is. And, you know, the last few starts, he hasn't been there. If he's if he's not closer to his ceiling this year, it's really hard to imagine the Orioles uh, having a successful rest of the year. Uh, I mean, he, uh, and beyond him, you know, you don't want to spend too much time with that because even if he doesn't reach his ceiling, he's obviously going to be one of the Orioles' better starters. Tillman has uh, rebounded from last year. Tillman was uh, pretty strong consistently over 70 starts from 2012 when he came up in the uh, around July 2012 through the end of 14. 15 was a rough year for him. Got crushed repeatedly by the Blue Jays against everybody else. He was okay. Uh, you know, this year the velocity's up a little bit for Tillman. He's added a uh, fourth pitch, which has helped a little bit. He's a big guy, uh, deceptive. Uh, even when the you know his velocity consistently is still only around 92 or so, but uh, he gets some deception, and uh, you know, a lot of times hitters are uh, missing on his fastball, uh, which looks a little bit. You know, I think they call it the effective velocity because his release point's a little bit further out. And the other nice thing with Tillman this year is his uh, swinging strike rate is uh, way up. He's getting a lot more swings and misses. But beyond them, what do you have? Uh, you got Tyler Wilson, who has exceeded my expectations, but you know, and he has some nice pitch ability. He looks comfortable on the mound, but he's a guy that projects as a fifth starter. You have a Mike Wright, who has a live arm, but uh, questionable secondaries, questionable control, uh, mound presence. He gets, uh, he's very demonstrative. You can see he gets uh, kind of out of. You know, he lets up a hit or a walk, and he's he starts pouting on the mound. Uh, and basically, he's somebody that should be in the in a future bullpen, ideally. Uh, Jimenez, you know, he's been a, a complete uh, mess this year. 
you know, a guy pretty consistent for his career, somebody that when he's healthy gives you 30 starts, 180 innings, and he's a reliable major league starter. But he goes into this start today with basically everybody in Baltimore just uh, scared to death, and really it's it's hard for a lot of those fans to understand why he's still in the rotation, even with the lack of depth behind him, really just uh, he's been horrendous. You, and, you know, the primary issue from Jimenez on my part, my thinking is you have a guy that last year he uh, changed his mechanics. He had the lowest walk rate uh, percentage of his career. This year he reverted back to his prior mechanics, and <laughs> the walk rate's back up. So it, it, that's really hard to understand. And then and then you're looking for Gallardo to get back a guy that's had uh, – you know, you look at his peripherals the last few years, there's plenty of red flags before you signed him. Uh, at this point, my only hope with him is that he's a consistent league average fifth starter. Uh, but uh, I'm not real sure what to expect from him overall. I mean, basically, you signed him for his durability, and, of course, he gets hurt right away. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a tremendous issue with, with the rotation. I mean, Aren't many teams blessed with five quality starters, but right now the Orioles have two starters they can really rely on, and obviously that's not enough. Yeah, Chris, I want to ask you, you brought up Gallardo just briefly there. What's the timetable on him, and do you have any expectations left for him at all? How have they evolved as the season has gone on? And, and obviously he's proven to not be, like you said, durable as expected. Uh, I think a realistic timetable now he's back growing. He's, he's done some uh, sessions is. You know, I think by the start of July, he's probably a, a candidate to be back into the rotation at that point. Um, as far as what you can expect from him, obviously he's a veteran with a ton of experience. Uh, he's regularly gone to the post. Uh, you know, that was really what you were signing for him this year. I don't think anybody had an expectation that he would be anything better than a you know, a four and a half ERA guy uh, pitching in the American League East, pitching in Canyon Yards, and with his peripherals. But you know, early what we saw from him the start of the year and his first four starts was pretty alarming. It was a guy that his velocity had dropped uh, another couple miles an hour, and, and he just looked like he had no no chance of really getting hitters out of any consistency. So then, then you're not even going to be able to provide the innings. Uh, you know, once he was going for the lineup by that second time, I mean, he was, it was not pretty. So, but if you're going to be, if you want to be on the optimistic side, he had a late start to his spring, perhaps the shoulder issue that he was uh, dealing with, perhaps that was uh, impacting the velocity. Maybe this time off, maybe that helps him a little bit if he can be a, reliable fifth starter the rest of the way, a league average fifth, that would that would be something. Chris, we've talked uh, a bit on this show in the past about possible trade targets, you know, to, to bolster the rotation. But barring a trade, is there anything they can do? Is there any – is there a guy you like in the minor leagues? Is there – would you consider moving Worley into the rotation in place of one of these guys? What – what can you do, or is it just sort of a, a situation where you're, you know, the, the Titanic deck char- chairs and you're shuffling them around? Yeah, I mean, a couple things there. I, I guess uh, on a temporary basis, and starting with today, had they not used them last night, I would have 
inserted Worley into the rotation in place of Jimenez as a temporary stopgap, uh, using Worley for the remainder of June until Gallardo gets back, and then thinking you had an option there of Gallardo replacing one of uh, Worley, Wright, and or Wilson, Wilson probably being the best candidate to continue on. Uh, you know, Worley was used last night, so uh, and the Orioles have had stated they had planned to give Jimenez at least another start today, so we'll see what happens there. As far as internal candidates, it's very thin, uh, which is another reason it, it's a little bit irritating to look out to uh, Chicago and see Miguel Gonzalez out there. The Orioles did have the ability to just option Gonzalez back to their uh, uh, minor leagues this year. They didn't have to release them, and for a system that's uh, you know pretty thin, and when you have limited options, why they just chose to get rid of a uh, a potential option uh, that that bothers me. Internally, the best candidate may be Chris Lee. He's a left-hander at a Double A Bowie. Uh, has some nice stuff, but what I question right now, and you know, his record in the Eastern League is is pretty gaudy right now. But however, if you uh, look a little bit closer at his numbers, he's just not striking out anybody. I believe it's uh, 19 Ks in 51 innings or so. Oh. If you're not missing bats there in the Eastern League, I you know I certainly question your ability to uh, miss bats <laughs> in the majors. Uh, that kind of, you know, to me, you're going to have to show more at that level before you are deserving of the promotion. So then it's, all right, we got to go external to the organization to add more. So, but then, but then the Orioles' primary issue is that they have a system that is is limited right now. So how do you go and acquire other pieces externally when your system is limited? And then the only thing that I come up with is that you. Uh, you have to essentially go and be willing to uh, take on a a contract that is not uh, uh, that some other teams looking to get rid of. Uh, that's why I keep coming back to uh, James Shields, who even though we saw him get wrecked the other day, I guess he, I think he let up ten earned runs uh, in his last outing. I look at the Orioles' rotation. I look at uh, what's limited. I look at the Orioles' system and their inability, I think, to uh, to trade uh, prospects to obtain a better starter and the fact that, frankly, there just aren't that many starters that are going to be available. And somebody like Shields with an available contract, that's still, that still looks like the best bet to me. Our co- colleague Paul Spore, he wrote an article the other day for the site, he came up with several options. Uh, some some guys we had discussed uh, before. Um, uh, Shields' is San Diego teammate, Andrew Kashner. Uh, also, uh, uh, who were the other two? Uh, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, one second. Uh, Jeremy Hellickson from, the, from yeah. the Phillies. And then also... Uh, Rich Hellickson, uh, right? Yeah, the, uh, Rich Hill, former Oriole there, Yeah, with the big 12-6 to six curve. I mean, any of those guys, you look at the Orioles' rotation, any of those guys could potentially help. Are they really true difference makers? No, but they could all help, and if you could potentially obtain them, uh, yeah, I guess at this point I'm all for it. Uh, I, I'm 
I guess my current thinking is, you know, the Orioles might need more than uh, one uh, external addition to get really through this season. Hey, Chris, uh, one guy I want to ask about, uh, Orioles just traded and got released by the Braves, is Brian Mattis. Do you think he could help anybody as a reliever this year, or is he pretty much cooked? Uh, he can help as as a true loogie. I mean, talk about a disappointment and – and really, when you start talking about like you know uh, the lack of starters that are available on the external market, it really points to again. And then you look at the cost of free agent pitching. It, it really always gets back to what are you developing from within. Brian Mattis's failed development of the Orioles is a you know that's a tremendous disappointment. This was a guy that was when he was drafted was billed as a uh, guy that threw uh, strikes to every quadrant uh, with. Four different pitches that he could throw uh, consistently for strikes. We saw that briefly for like the second half of 2010, and then basically everything since then has been just uh, downhill for uh, for Mattis. Uh, and the last few years, just uh, devolving just to simply being a loogie and really basically being a David Ortiz specialist. If you look at the numbers there, he really owned Ortiz. But uh, uh. Yeah, I think he could still help somebody in that capacity. Uh, even last year, his numbers were, were pretty strong against lefties. Uh, but if you look at the splits over the last three-plus years, he, he's really struggled against uh, right-handed hitters. So, Chris, turning uh, our attention to the offense now, um, which is you know a happier topic to some extent, but there are there are some issues there. As well, uh, 4.5 runs per game, which is fifth in the American League, quite a bit behind the Red Sox, of course, who are, who are just kind of destroying everybody, as as we just found out the other day. What's going on with the offense? The 12th in runs per game, uh, the on-base percentage has dropped significantly. Is, is there anything there to be worried about, and are there any sort of, uh, you know, roster shuffles, uh, lineup shuffles that uh, Buck can make there to to improve things? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we talk about the issues with the rotation, and I guess that wasn't unexpected. It's, uh, you know, but what we did expect for this team, you know, if we're putting a blueprint together in March of how this team could contend, it's the idea of quality bullpen, quality defense, and the slugging. Uh, the slugging percentage is pretty strong. We knew they would have trouble uh, getting people on base in the early parts of the season. Their on-base percentage looked pretty strong, but that was really being, uh, you know, uh, that was kind of with some inflated batting averages um, more than uh, their ability to to, to walk and uh, get on base uh, in that capacity. Uh, as the season's progressing now, numbers are normalizing, uh, the on-base percentage is dropping, and that's going to remain an issue. They just they have too many guys that are uh, – it, you know, you'll just look up and down the order. Their consistent, their career numbers are just very low <laughs> on base wise, and there's no real reason to think that's going to change. Uh, the only thing they can do internally is to give a few more at bats to uh, Nolan Rymel, the guy that's consistently shown over uh, his minor league and whenever he's been healthy enough to play in the major leagues that he. Uh, uh, he, he is uh, pretty patient at the plate. And he's got one of the better approaches on the team. And uh, the Korean import, uh, Su Kim, who's, uh, 
who's now getting an opportunity to play a little bit, and he's a uh, and he's taking advantage of that playing time. And, and uh, what's been really impressive, other than this last week or so where he's, he's finally been playing every day, is that in the few opportunities opportunities he was getting earlier this season, every time he did come to the plate, he was uh, showing a a pretty advanced approach. Uh, I do want to ask you about Kim a little bit. Where are you at with him as far as does this seem like a flash in the pan, or do you get the feeling that he's got a chance to be a pretty nice little player for the Orioles? Uh, I think the uh, KBO is basically looked at as around double A. Uh, and he had several thousand at-bats there uh, and, and was productive. And you knew coming to the majors that was going to be a significant adjustment. Uh, more travel, uh, the uh, you know, obviously a better talent, also facing specialized uh, relievers, uh, and then the cultural adjustment as well. There's a lot of different things for, for a player to adjust to. Um, <clears throat> Orioles manager Buck Showalter has been stating recently that uh, Kim benefited from not playing early on and that it, he was a uh, productive student learning uh, around him. I don't know if that's true or True or not, again, every time we did see Kim in the early going, he showed a pretty advanced approach at the plate, I thought. Um, you know, I think his OPS right now is around 1,000. I'm going to anticipate he's not that MVP caliber player, but if I think he does have the potential to be a 750 to 800 OPS player in the field, uh, despite his couple of uh, green gold gloves. I mean, you, you see a guy that's... Um, he looks a little awkward out there, but he hasn't heard him yet. And uh, given the Orioles' overall needs for you know uh, for a little uh, you know, better uh, plate discipline, a better approach, willingness to uh, work counts a little bit, uh, I, I think he's a I think he's worth at least an extended look. I, you know, whether I'm not really willing to make a proclamation on what he's definitively going to be going forward but certainly at this time you, you continue playing them every day and you, uh, you ride the hot hand that's a that's an interesting spin from buck that uh he's not playing helped him play better now but uh one, one thing you do like and like as you as you pointed out that there's not a lot of good on-base guys in this lineup and he currently granted this is a very short uh, amount of playing time he's had, but he does have eight walks versus eight strikeouts in his 19 games. So that's uh, no one else is really close to that sort of ratio um, in this lineup. I wanted to turn the attention to Pedro Alvarez, who uh, has given nearly $6 million this year to, and has not contributed a whole lot. He did have three hits last night um, in that 13 and nine victory. But uh, what do you, what do you see from him moving forward, and, and what do you what do you think his sort of playing situation should be? Yeah, I think uh, you know Pedro's an interesting player to look at, and when we talk about the offense overall and being slugging reliant, um, you know, obviously in the early going, his first two months of the year, Trumbo came in and and uh, has had great production, but he's also had production that's significantly above his career averages, and you have to expect there's going to be regression at some point. So then you look at somebody like Pedro Alvarez uh, that has underachieved for the first two months. Again, 
consistently over what he's done over his career, where he's been a he's mashed right-handed hitters, uh, really struggled. I mean, left hand, uh, excuse me, right-handed pitchers. He's really struggled against uh, lefties. You know, you would expect the numbers to go up uh, at, at some point, uh, and to be a you know, be another option in the offense. Give you know, give them some additional power. To me, I, the way this team is built right now, and with J.J. Hardy being out, I I want to see Alvarez playing basically every day, at least against right-handed pitchers at third, until Hardy gets back. Now Alvarez is a horrible defensive player that whose best position is DH. But to me, you need to see him playing every day. Trumbo's not coming out of the lineup, so and Davis isn't coming out of the lineup. So if you want to get Kim and Reimold some additional bats, they have to play the uh, right and left. And if uh, Reimold is in right, that means trumbo has the dh and if trumbo's at dh well then there's an opportunity there to play third and of course you have that opportunity now that machado is you know playing shortstop in in hardy's absence so if uh to me you start alvarez at third against uh right-handed pitching and you bring in uh flarity as the defensive replacement for uh close and late how how has machado looked at short in J.J. Hardy's absence, in, in your opinion? Uh, he had one horrible game, or yeah, I guess one horrible inning, where he had uh, you know, two errors in an inning. But other than that, he's looked uh, he's looked outstanding. It's been a pretty seamless transition you know, for a guy. He did play uh, shortstop coming up in the minors, uh, but uh, since joining the Orioles in August of 2012, he's been, been third. That's been his position and for a guy that to just uh, move right back in uh, middle of the season where he hasn't been practicing and to look, uh, you know, not just not just good, not just above average, but he's also he's basically looked elite at the shortstop position. That, that, that's pretty impressive. Uh, it has brought back the questions of where should Machado be going forward, and uh, you know, as Brandon, you asked me on the. On your podcast uh, before the season began, if that was a possibility, you know, who knows? Uh, Hardy's still here, has some time left on his contract. As long as Hardy's here, I think it makes sense to use Machado at third, but certainly has reignited uh, that discussion. You tease a little bit that uh, Alvarez kind of guy that could play better, and a couple guys that are struggling now are a couple of the mainstays, Chris Davis, and even Adam Jones. And I, you look at Adam Jones' numbers, and they're up a little bit from where he started, which is more indicative of how poorly he started. But if if you're going to say he had a better May than April, it's still a sub 700 OPS, which is not vintage Adam Jones. So. What, what's your level of concern? Uh, you know, Davis having a decent enough offensive season on the surface, but just not up to his standards. Where are you at with these guys in terms of your evaluation now as, as we're closing in on like 60 games here? Yeah, my concern isn't very high with, with either, but bottom line is their production isn't good enough. Uh, Jones, if you look at his numbers over the last, offensive numbers over the last five, six years, I mean, I don't know if anybody's more, consistently the the, the same uh, as what Jones is year to year. If he doesn't finish somewhere between a 750 and an 800 OPS at the end of the year, I'll be very surprised. Now, you could argue that's uh, given 
his overall skill set that there should be more there, but overall you'll certainly take that. He's had plenty of months uh, pretty much every year of his career where he's just been pretty horrific, followed by months where he's been scorching, and overall the numbers tend to balance out. We'll we'll see. I mean, there was some talk that he was been battling a rib cage injury. He's kind of denied that, and he certainly denied it after he had the big week uh, starting in in Minnesota. There, that kind of jumped up his numbers a little bit, and since has struggled. Uh, But I'm going to take him in his word. He says he's healthy. That he's uh, the play just hasn't been good enough. Sometimes you suck. I think it's his exact words. So (laughs) I'm just going to uh, go with that and say that you know the play hasn't been good enough. You got to deliver more. Interesting thing of Jones the last uh, few days is that Showalter has been uh, leading him off. So the Orioles have somebody with a uh, sub 300 on base percentage at the top of the order. But maybe there's a something to it because the approach has been a little bit better the last few days of Jones. Maybe he's taking uh, understanding he needs to re- uh, get on base at a, at a higher clip. And I guess not to bury him too much, I believe his walk percentage is the highest of uh, since uh, 2009, I believe. With Davis, also similar to Jones, in fact, I mean, it's a guy that when he's cold, he just can't hit anything, and when he's hot, he hits everything. And then, you know, you will just go – yeah, he's somebody that can, you know, greatly carry a team for two, three weeks, and then when he's not hitting anything, he just is a black hole in the lineup. Uh, yeah, I would expect his end numbers to, um, you know, I think he'll finish somewhere between an 850 and a 900 OPS right now, I believe. Uh, going in the last night before he had four walks, he had dropped under 800, but overall, uh, I'm would expect his numbers to pick up again, but uh, you know, there's positives and negatives there. The negative is that the production hasn't been good enough between the two of them. Uh, the positive is that you would expect more from them going forward, and that's a reason to believe the offense uh, should improve. Chris, uh, back to Adam Jones for one second, and uh, I'm not going to request that we that we are able to use the sometimes you suck. <laughs> saying as as my personal uh saying um anytime you're unhappy with me but uh no but just kidding but jones um well he has hit uh you know 260 or so over the last last week his slugging is still down and that's the thing that's really stood out to me amongst all the other things he's a 304 slugging over the last week he's uh it's at 365 currently which is his lowest since his rookie season and you you mentioned that there's been some talk of that the the rib cage injury might still be bothering him. You think there's something to that? That's that he's not able to hit the ball with the same authority he has in the past. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, you know, Brandon can uh, testify being out there in Minnesota. Uh, Orioles came through and. Uh, Jones was struggling mightily, and then uh, all of a sudden, over those couple of days, every you know, he starts hitting everything. A couple of uh, long uh, home runs, and you know, then he says he's asked about it. He's he's asked if he's uh, been dealing with uh, injuries or soreness, and you know, I imagine all players that play pretty much every day have numerous issues that they don't regularly talk about. Maybe they do exist. Maybe he doesn't want to use it as a crutch. But 
I'm just going to take him at, at his word of, of you know, he's healthy enough to play. So then it, it ultimately is, well, your production isn't good enough. So you have to raise the bar. Uh, the Orioles, simply the way they're built, they're going to have to mash their way the rest, you know, over the next uh, two thirds of the season. And if he isn't at his career averages, you know, that's a tremendous detriment to the Orioles. I mean, there's just no way around it. Chris, there was an expectation that this team would be very strong defensively, and it seems as though defensive metrics, uh, the jury's kind of out. High in defensive efficiency, but UZR and some of the other stuff don't appreciate their uh, their efforts. Where are you on this defense, and, and where are they headed? Uh, uh, I, I think that the defensive efficiency numbers to me, it's kind of the way you should look at the Orioles right now. They convert a high amount of balls in play in the outs. Uh, if you look at the zone rating and the uh, defensive uh, runs saved, the numbers are pretty ugly uh, overall. Uh, yeah, some of those numbers, it's a lot of noise this early in the season. Uh, even over a full season of games, sometimes you're told that you know those numbers can be there's only so much you can glean from it, but just going off of what we're what we've seen for those numbers and kind of the eyeball test, the infield defense is very good. We can go around the diamond quickly. Waiters solid behind the plate. I think Joseph is better. Joseph just going on the DL with that uh, testicular injury. I feel bad for him. I think every man does. Uh, mm-hmm. Davis. <laughs> uh, Davis. You know, he's not uh, Mark Grace, Keith Hernandez, uh, Palmero at, at first, but he's above average around the bag. He's definitely uh, – he has some decent range. Uh, he's he's an above average first baseman. Scope isn't uh, – doesn't have great range, but it's it's better than advertised. He has a tremendous arm. Maybe only only Cano can prob- probably be in the conversation of, of uh, second baseman with his arm. He's excellent around the bag. Uh, when healthy, uh, Hardy last year was still excellent uh, at shortstop. This year, uh, the numbers were, uh, again, extremely strong for him prior to him going out. Uh, yeah, I think J.J. Hardy, as long as he's healthy, will always be a uh, quality glove man. Uh, Machado, you know, at short, at third, he's excellent with Hardy out and uh, with Machado at short, I mean, right now, again, they're regularly kind of going with Flaherty at third. Uh, you know, Flaherty's a, certainly a solid uh, you know, uh, defensive third baseman. Uh, the corner outfielders have been the primary issue with the Orioles defensively. Uh, Rick Gard kind of, you know, the, he was advertised as being an above-average defensive outfielder the first few weeks of the year. He really kind of struggled and left before uh, yeah, showing some improvement as he was getting regular time out there. I think in the minors he played more in right and center than he ever had in left. Uh, the range was improving. His arm isn't great, uh, but yeah, he's got above average speed and the metrics which currently show him to be a horrible outf- uh, outfielder, I think, are are flawed. I, I don't know if he'll be the above average guy he was aver- advertised as, but I think he's certainly average. Uh, Kim, we talked about him. Uh, Trumbo, 
you know, he's playing right field. He's a DH. He does have a decent arm. Uh, and and Reimold is a very good athlete who uh, hustles and runs exceptionally well. He doesn't get great jumps on balls. Uh, so then you're left with uh, Jones in center field. And really, you know, we talked about the consistency of his offensive numbers. The interesting thing, if you really look at his uh, numbers over the years, is that he came up regarded as an extremely strong defensive outfielder. Metrics were pretty supportive of that early in his career. Then he had about five straight years where, uh, by zone rating and defensive run saved, he was below average, only to see that reversed over uh, the 14 and 15 seasons, which most people have credited to uh, positional adjustment. This year, I think he's trending uh, slightly below average, but uh, he's not a He's maybe not worthy of the accolades he received and gold gloves he had early in his career, but he's uh, he's an above average, you know, average above average uh, center fielder with a with a plus arm. So yeah, I, I think defensively it's a pretty good team that regularly converts balls into outs. I think it's important for Hardy to get back. I think that's a a pretty strong component of the uh, uh, of the Orioles team. Of course, uh, we we could sit here and talk Orioles all day with you, but we did want to get in some talk in general about Baltimore sports and life, um, which you are the owner and we are your employees. Uh, so let's talk shop there for a bit. Where, where do you see Baltimore sports and life in the in the uh, local market right now? Where where do you see it heading? Uh, how do you think of things are going in general, and where would you like to see things go? Uh, I think a great positive is having guys like you as part of the site. I mean, you both are uh, highly accomplished and uh, being able to have uh, you as contributors to the site uh, is, yeah, it's exciting for us. Uh, I wish we could uh, make more people aware of that fact. I, I think that's the primary issue that we have. If you look at our internal analytics, the people that come to the site, that find the site, they come back. Uh, our reach isn't large enough at this point. Uh, we haven't been able to uh, get a saturation point of awareness. But I think we have an excellent team of uh, contributors, not just with our uh, covering the Orioles, but also the Baltimore Ravens and the University of Maryland, uh, basketball and football. And as far as where we are as a site, I think we've, uh, yeah, just to give you some background, uh, we were, we've previously been named Baltimore's best uh, blog. Uh, we've won the pro sports category by readers of the uh, Baltimore Sun. For us, it was how can we go from that level to being a more uh, direct competitor to the to the local sports media leaders. And, you know, we've banged on a lot of doors over the last few years looking for a larger investment to really uh, further address the issues that we do have and to have us take that next step to being a more you know, a more equal footing to some of uh, uh, the local leaders. And consistent feedback that we got was that our, our plan made sense. People could see where it could be uh, some level of profitability, but our scalability was too low. They could invest in us or they could invest in a biotech with a chance for a, a major uh, payday. So understanding that, understanding where we are, for me, the site right now is continue, continuing to find quality content, continue to put that out, 
continue to kick the uh, can down the road a little bit, trying to increase our awareness and make more, uh, get more people to come to the site, be active posters, uh, to find and share our content. And then for me, it's can I, uh, you know, I'm looking at different ways that I can try and find uh, the investment that we need. Uh, and I'm going to continue this on for, you know, probably the rest of my life in some form or the other. Uh, so I'm very appreciative of those who uh, are uh, part of this and are helping us build. So you know, my thanks to you guys. You guys have been excellent so far on the warehouse brand. And you've done uh, uh, some some great writing for us. So you know, uh, I'm proud of what we have accomplished. But you know, still have a uh, long ways to go to get to uh, to reach our, our goals. Chris, what does the rest of the O's uh, analysis team look like? Who do you got so far on the roster? Yeah, so we. We talked about uh, Paul Spore, your uh, Fangraphs uh, colleague, uh, also contributed to this, this site. He uh, had his most recent column there looking at uh, earlier this week on starters the world could obtain. He's, uh, I think he's got another article going today. Uh, another uh, analyst who contributed today was uh, Zach Spedden. Uh, he previously worked in the uh, Washington Nationals organization. He doing mostly minor league coverage for us, uh, does the Orioles minor league podcast, uh, The Verge, uh, with us. His colleague there is uh, Reggie Yinger. Uh, Reggie has recently taken some time off from the site as he uh, was going through the unfortunate uh, loss of his mother recently about a month ago, But he, uh, so we wish the best to him, but he is returning to the site soon. Uh, Reggie... Uh, it spent the last five years working in the Orioles player development department. Uh, he's also, in addition to contributing to us right now, he's doing some work for uh, Baseball Prospectus and 2080 Baseball. And then our other uh, uh, our other main guy there would be uh, you know, Rob Shields, uh, who has probably got you know. I don't know how many posts he's up to now on the site. Probably around you know, fifty thousand posts at the board. Very <laughs> consistently active uh, poster. Somebody that I've been personal friends with for you know, twenty years. Uh, hasn't uh, done a lot of writing outside the site, but I think he's. I think his writing would hold up well anywhere. Uh, certainly, uh, highly knowledgeable about the Orioles, but I, I think we have a pretty strong team there uh, of guys and then having you know Bob obviously you know you're, you're not writing for the site but having your experience with NBC Sports the hardball talks on you know the site that I always uh, have respected and having you uh, contribute to the warehouse and having your additional knowledge is available to the site I think that's a, a pretty big coup for us as well ah shah Chris <laughs> make me blush um uh, so now, now you got me flustered. Um, no, I'm happy to be here. It's great to be a part of this, and uh, working with Brandon has been wonderful as well. Um, you know, talking about media in general and sports media, I feel like things have just been changing so rapidly over the last few years, and, and continue to do so. Chris, how do you, and Brandon too, you both of you guys, how, how do you guys get your sports coverage and and kind of what sites do you like? What types of coverage do you like? Hey, go ahead, Brian. Uh, 
I mean, are we talking specifically Orioles or just kind of uh, broadly? Because broadly, you know, I like obviously fan graphs, some kind of biased perspective. So I like a lot of more of the statistically based stuff, but locally uh, I keep up with, I might butcher the name. Is it rock Kubatko? Yeah. You got it right there. Fast. And yeah, I was, you know, with the question, I, I think national makes sense. And I'm the same way, Brandon. I look at, uh, I look at all the analytical sites, fan graphs and BP and 2080 mm-hmm. baseball, uh, beyond the box score, uh, hardball times. Uh, and then the sites, you know, Grantland before their demise, and I guess Nail the Ringer will be looking at them. I really like uh, Sports on Earth. Uh, I, I, I like their overall, uh, how they attack content. Um, you know, and then, of course, uh, uh, larger national sites, uh, CBS and then NBC and uh, Fox, and I guess there's uh, ESPN as well, although I have to say my my while well, I do have a few uh, people I'm particularly fond of at ESPN, uh, Dan Samborski's already been on the show, and uh, uh, and uh, the Sweet Spot editor who I'm just drawing a blank, uh, Schenfeld. Uh, yeah, Schenfeld. Yeah, uh, he's also been good to the site as well. You know, people I'm fond of. Uh, I, I would say my overall readership of ESPN has probably uh, decreased over the years, but. Uh, yeah, certainly, uh, I try and read a little bit of everybody. You know what's out there. There's only so much time in a day. I do post a bunch of links to the uh, to the board of uh, of content that you know from across the web that aren't just covering the Orioles, but we you know we have the uh, MLB section. Uh, so I try and keep up with uh, what's going on around the game as well, and and have some different discussions uh, there. Uh, you know, Bob, you can speak about hardball talk uh, you know, better than you know, better than anybody. I'm sure you, know, you spent a lot of time there. I always liked what hardball talk uh, did with the, uh, you know, not everything has to be a uh, war and peace, you know, kind of some shorter takes <laughs> and looking across, uh, across the game. Uh, it's an interesting collection of guys there, and I think NBC Sports, if, if they – could find ways to better utilize the talent they have uh, on the writing side. I, I, I think they they have a network of writers that could uh, really uh, take off more nationally. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's been a while since I since I was there. It's been uh, three plus years now. But but uh, that model, which really comes from uh, Mike Florio's Pro Football Talk, and then the NBC kind of based all their blogs on that model, really worked well back then but like you said they do have a lot of good writers that they probably could use use more efficiently maybe or not more efficiently necessarily but just add let them spread their wings a little more um as opposed to just churning out churning out headlines on everything and but, using, uh, them in, uh, using them in other realms on their on their radio shows and they also have of course uh uh the NBC Sports Network and now they have the affiliation I guess you know they they had the merger with Comcast, so they have all of the localized uh, Comcast sites here in in the Baltimore, Washington area. There's Comcast Mid Atlantic. You could have you could have opportunities to really kind of partner more with the localized sites there, but not to tell them how to do their business. Obviously, they're doing <laughs> quite well. No, you're you're right. I mean that. 
they have a lot of great riders at their regional sites. I mean, they have a they have a Bay Area site. So you got your Giants and A's covered. They got a Chicago site. They've got a New England site, as you know. They've, you know, they've got a, 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 a Mid Atlantic site. I'm sorry, as you know, in New England as well. But but they've got a lot of great uh, boots on the ground out there covering all their teams, and uh, they probably could use that a little bit more efficiently um, than they do. But uh, going back to the the idea of how uh, the overall media is uh, changing, continues to change quickly. How has that impacted the two of you over the time that you guys have been writing uh, professionally? I'm, I'm sorry, would you say that again? I was just saying, you know, I talked about how the media landscape has uh, been, has changed uh, rapidly over the last five to ten years. I'm curious for you guys individually, how has that impacted you guys uh as professional writers. Ooh, ahead, wow, that's that's a huge question. I mean, in a way, it's 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 changed the types of jobs that are out there. For one, it, it's it's versatility has it's made me more versatile, and and I think that's that's good. Um, I've been working a lot, you know, not just writing for digital or editing for digital. I've been you know companies do digital, they do television, they do radio, they do, um, you know, podcasting. And, and I've kind of had my, been able to dip my toes in all of that. And it's been, it's been an interesting ride. It's been less secure maybe than in the past, but it's, but it's been exciting. It's been fun to do a lot of, to try to do a lot of different things. I'm pretty sure Brandon, you, you've had the opportunity to do a lot of different things as well, haven't you? Yeah, I think it makes career paths a little less clear. You know, you have to work harder and do the work of more people than maybe 10 or 15 years ago to to find your way towards whatever career path you want to go down. And and the problem is, you know, you get a little bit worried about specializing and then that job not existing by the time you get to the point where you actually deserve it. So I don't know. It's just it's 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 a tough road to go. It is. It is. But but it beats coal mining. I always say. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris, uh, we really appreciate having you on. Is, is there anything that we, we missed that you wanted to get to before we let you go? No, you guys let me rattle on uh, long enough. Uh, again, my thanks for the both of you being part of the site. Uh, I think you guys have, again, been excellent additions, been great uh, work. Uh, I look forward to seeing it progress. Oh, I, I guess one last thing I, I will say is that uh, – you guys did get picked on a little bit yesterday by another local podcast. So, uh, 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 as they played <laughs> a clip of a uh, uh, barking dog in the background, ending I guess uh, uh, the previous uh, previous show, uh, I I just we'll we'll let that one go. I think the content stands on its own. I think you guys have done excellent work, and we'll see how uh, the warehouse progresses from here. But again, thank you both. We gonna have a podcast war in our hands, Chris? Yes, we'll be definitely starting a, a, a podcast war. <laughs> All right, well, thanks, well, let's Chris. get him on. Let's get him <laughs> on the show. Take All care. Right. Thank you. Thank you. That was Chris Stoner, founder of Baltimore Sports and Life, uh, the website that actually brings you the warehouse. And uh, good guest today, Bob. Yeah, I mean he's our boss. Of course, he was a great guest. So no, but in all honesty, he was very knowledgeable, very, very much knows what's going on with the media landscape as well. 
great guest. Yeah, he does. Um, so I wanted to ask you a couple things here. What what kind of stuff are you watching from a national standpoint? I know from a local standpoint, the Twins kind of turned the West on its head, sweeping the Mariners, who were in first place, and then being swept by the A's, who were in last place. A little <laughs> bit of a strange sequence there. They're bringing Tampa Bay into town starting today. Keep an eye on the Cubs, who I believe are dominating all-star voting, not surprisingly, and the Royals, who are also dominating all-star voting for some reason for another year. They're back in first place against the fading White Sox and a couple other teams that are struggling to stay above 500. But what kind of things are you watching on the national scope? Oh, goodness. Well, you know, I'm out here in Los Angeles, so for me it was all about Chase Utley and the Mets over the last week. Mm-hmm. Are we done with that or did you want to did you want to talk about that still or are we done with the whole uh throwing at guys and taking guys out at second base and that whole thing? I'm I'm just trying to figure out if baseball's done with it. What what's your take on the <laughs> any any possible suspension too? I mean, with starting pitcher suspensions, they're pretty toothless in that you can re reshuffle your rotation and probably don't miss a start. So I don't know. I mean, it it, it makes it even more difficult like how you police the pitchers that Again, in the National League, you get to come up to the plate, so they could throw at you if they wanted to, but you're also a, a, basically a free out. So I don't know that you want to put a guy like that on base either. It's just a weird yeah. justice system in the National League. It seems like they, with, the big issue to me, what they have to figure out, is who do they want policing this stuff? Do they want the players policing themselves? Because That's fine if, if you want that, but it's going to lead to more beanball battles and more brawls. Because mm-hmm. that's because the players don't the players don't police themselves very well. Every time you think you're policing it, somebody's going to get upset on the other side, and then it just continues. So do you want that, which is the old school way, which is fine, whatever, or you want the umpires policing it, where you get a situation where Syndergaard gets thrown out of the game without a warning, and then the Mets fans are all upset about it. So you you kind of got to figure out they're they're inconsistent right now is what they're doing. Matt Bush didn't even get. Um, uh, thrown out right when he threw right. at uh, Jose Bautista. So, mm-hmm. so you know they've got to they've got to figure out what they're going to do there moving forward and find some consistency so that the players know what to do in these situations. Because right now it's just it's all over the map. I don't really have a problem with Thor getting thrown out though, because if if the intent is there, the warning is kind of toothless because what's done is already done, and so. Uh, I don't know. I mean, whatever. It's not up to me, but uh, I think that it, it, it doesn't bother me that he was thrown out without a warning. Does it bother you? No, no, I agree with you. I'm, I was surprised he got thrown out, but oh, yeah. I mean, everybody, everybody knew it was on purpose. So if, mm-hmm. when you throw at a guy on purpose, the umpire has the, the discretionary power to throw you out. And so that's what happened. So I was surprised, but I didn't have an issue with it. But I think I think the players have issues with it because then they they don't know what the ground rules are when they go into these things. If the ground rules are that you throw behind a guy who you everyone knows you're going to throw at, is that you get thrown out? Well, then knowing that moving forward, they they know not to do that. But the problem is they don't know what they can get away with and what they can't get away with at this point. Well, Syndergaard was thrown out. Phil Hughes was not when he threw behind a guy in the uh, – what series was that? I can't remember which series it was. But then does it boil down to, oh, well, Phil Hughes only throws 91, but Syndergaard throws 99. Are you throwing out Syndergaard because he's more dangerous or because he's a better pitcher? Like That makes it a, a bad imp- interpretation of the rules, too, if you ask me. 
Yeah, that yeah, I don't think that should enter into it really. How hard? But it seems like it did. Like I'm saying, it seems like it did. It may have, and it could be just different for the umpire. Each umpire might have a different feeling about it. That's another problem. It's like the 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 only real standard is that the umpire has discretion. But what you know? What are what are the umpire ground rules? I don't know. Another yeah, and another thing to change gears a little bit that I'm keeping an eye on is is just how good this Red Sox offense is. Mookie Betts is on fire, 14 home runs. He's been crushing it lately. He had a three home run game recently. You got David Ortiz, who for some reason is going to retire after this season. <laughs> you know, Chris <laughs> mentioned Brian Mattis being the designated Ortiz potion or elixir, but with with Mattis gone, it seems like Ortiz has decided to resume mashing, and then. Probably my favorite story is their center fielder, Jackie Bradley Jr., who went on, what was it, a 30-game hitting streak? And, yeah, you know, with, with Bradley, 30, like, yeah. yeah, something like that. But with Bradley, there was just no expectations for him to be this good. You know, Xander Bogarts, yeah, he's going to be good. Dustin Pedroia, you got an idea he's going to be pretty good. Hanley Ramirez, he's holding his own, not, not great, not awful. Uh, defensively, not as great over at first base. But as far as surprises go, I think Bradley's probably the most pleasant one on that offense. I agree with that. I mean, he was he was a defensive first guy, right? Before he yeah. never quite yeah. knew what what he was offensively, and uh, then he, he I believe he got sent down last season, and then he came back this year, and he's a totally different guy. I don't expect him to have a thousand OPS at the end of the season, but, but no. he looks like a real player, and that's that. These guys are scary. I mean, these guys are. I believe they're all homegrown. At, Except for well, okay. Do we consider Hanley Ramirez homegrown? I mean, probably, probably not him. since he left and came <laughs> back. But they drafted him and traded him. But um, except for Ortiz. Yeah, where'd he and come Hanley, from? I guess. Ortiz. Seattle. Seattle. He was a Mariner. Yeah, and his name was yeah. David Arias, I believe. Right. Yeah, that was the. I think that was the Dave Hollins trade, actually. Oh, back in the day. Goodness. Wow. All right. You so, I, I stand so before there. I let you before I let you go, I want to ask you something about a guy that you've seen an awful lot this year, and that's Clayton Kershaw. How can you, in the two minutes that we have left, try not to take all of it? How can you sum up just how freaking <laughs> awesome he's been this year? Because honestly, you look at that strikeouts to walk ratio. I'm calling it up right now. So we got 105 strikeouts, five walks. I mean, your jaw just drops to the floor when you see that. What? How can you contextualize just how fantastic he's been this year? He's pit, he's pitching like the greatest of all time, and, and yeah. it's funny because you he's been he's pretty much been that guy for the last five years. But the, mm-hmm. everyone says Kershaw always starts slow, but here 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 we are sitting a third of the way through the season, and his ERA plus is two forty three. That, that's insane. He doesn't. The thing is, here's a interesting point you know that I, I read a story the other day that was talking about how the the philosophy is changing in baseball slowly for batters i mean from from taking lots of pitches and getting on base to swinging at the first pitch because over time the pitchers have reacted to that philosophy by grooving first pitch strikes right mm-hmm. Kersh, kershaw grooves first pitch strikes and still gets everybody out. That's all he does. All he does is throw strikes, and guys still can't hit him. It's it's ridiculous. It's been a great great pleasure to watch him every every day, every start. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it's 
I don't. The only thing, the only thing I can come up with is that he's pitching like a, a greatest of all time guy, and he's Jeez, only twenty eight. Well, well, that's all the time we've got today. Take good care of Casey Fien out there for us. You've been listening to episode <laughs> six of the Warehouse for Chris Stoner, Bob Harkins. This is Brandon Warren, your host, saying join us again next week on the Warehouse. Been a pleasure, Brandon. Take care.